You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Disturbed with Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and I'm here with Rabbi Yitzchok Kolokowski, chief chaplain at Waymark Prison. Rabbi Yitzchok, um, it's about criminal justice reform that we dedicate ourselves, and uh, we hope soon to be adding uh, a number of legal experts um, to help us understand and perhaps uh, create change, because law is sometimes very subtle. Um, and obviously the application of law really depends on the will of the justices and the efficacy of the lawyers. And sometimes um, the advocacy that's put forth by the, uh, by the people who are under arrest, who are standing trial. Um, I know that uh, this week, um, ideas of, uh, of improper sentencing uh, reared its head in a, in a way that was sort of ironic. And this was something that you brought to light to me. I'd heard about it, but you brought it to light, which was the release of Bill Cosby from his, where he was in prison. Now, um, where was it that he was in prison again? Uh, It's the newest, the newest uh, state of the art prison in the Pennsylvania uh, DOC. It's called Phoenix. And it's uh, very close to the old Graterford prison that was shut down and I guess it's a phoenix rising from the ashes and I think there are also I know there's a phoenixville Pennsylvania not too far away where they filmed part of the movie the blob uh that that I'm familiar and I and I I guess Phoenix, the original and I guess uh I guess said, who who asked that question Shlomo was asking that question uh, which which blob are we talking about <laughs> what, why what what are the two blobs Shlomo Yeah. There's actually been three movies about the blob. Uh-huh. The blob from 1938. Sort of blob will be aware of the blob from 1972. Um, and the blob from 1988. Right? Oh, I see. He's Mama should chip off the old block. Look at this, Bikinis. <laughs> You're ready to be very proud of you. Um, I hope they'll know Mishnah is like that or something. But yeah, he knows the three blobs. But anyway, <laughs> yes, they filmed the blob near there, and Cosby uh, ended There's up another first. monster who, who was over there. At the... Here, well, Cosby has definitely been accused of being a monster, and he definitely what he did we in no way uh, condone. It seems clear that um, with all the uh, women who came forth, the evidence um, you know, uh, seems to be very clear that he was a, a terrible. Um, uh, aggressive and um, a predator on young people um, and, and clearly uh, violating them in many, many ways um, constantly. I mean, and, and, and it, 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 it's, it's so offensive to our, what he's accused of. It's so offensive, you know, because we, we understand that the Ramban talks with the Indian of Kedusha is, is to be Mahana, the other person you're, and, and to, Take advantage of someone like that. It's it's such a such a horrible crime. It really it really it's so offensive. It's it's it's. You're mentioning it's the Ramban a, and Shara Kedusha. You're talking about the Ramban yeah. and Shara Kedusha in terms Igeris, of Igeris, 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 Ig
Right. Shark was written by the Riva. Yeah, the the uh, and, and, and but any, anyway, the the, Nefesh of the Riva. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The, Kinami, the, he's definitely the, quite perverse. The, the, there was a uh, there was a meme I saw. I think of several memes like this. It's you know the whole world was saying to free Britney Spears, and they said. Oh, we we could give you Bill Cosby, you know that was. Uh... was everyone was davening for Britney Spears to lose her conservatorship. The conservatorship again. That's again. I, I I can do a whole show about conservators as as as, as my sister was also um, was was under the thumb of a of a very cruel conservator uh, because she was a development disabled woman and and after my mother's death. Um, so we could do a lot of discussion about. Uh, things that are that are that are unjust in this country, um, but let's zero in on what happened here. The way I understand it, from what I've read, after you uh, alerted me, was that um, Cosby had made a deal years ago with a civil prosecutor, and he agreed to discuss and admit certain actions that he did. Um, I don't know if it was the full uh, Monty of what he was accused of, but he admitted in terms of uh, uh, of certain acts uh, that uh, on the condition, in other words, he waived his right for self-incrimination in order to be able to, to, uh, to have a um, immunity from criminal charges. And although I think he did end up paying uh, in the civil case, he ended up paying a certain amount of money. Uh, to this victim. I think 12 days later, he was then indicted on criminal charges, despite the fact that he had cut a deal um, with the prosecutor. He was either the assistant DA, but definitely someone in the district attorney's office. You would assume that the, 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 in the state of Pennsylvania was w- w- quite aware of the deal that was made. And once a deal is made, the, the government has to stick to it. They can't just uh, decide that now we're going to uh, renege on that because we find you despicable and disgusting and because there's pressure from, uh, from the Me Too movement and from, you know, frankly, their conscience. So Cosby, Cosby's lawyers, finally, after a number of years, were able to, I guess, ferret out uh, that this agreement did exist and were able to bring it. Um, and it went all the way to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, right? Yeah. So that means it probably was heard by a lower court and, and denied, and his lawyers took it to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Um, and there, um, I, I don't know if it was a split ruling, but I think the majority opinion, I don't know how many sit on the, that, that court, but the majority ruling felt that, if you, that you can't be held liable to prosecution if you make a deal uh, and, and, and you waive your, your rights on the, on the condition that you won't be prosecuted. Now, I saw the LA Times article that I was reading right before we started recording. It said they, they, there's no written record of this agreement, but I, there's, prob- there's probably a tape recording or something of it, you know, you know the idea that there's no written record. Um, and so what do you say, Yitzchak? You, you, you believe that this is an indicator of, of a justice system that needs to be reformed in the sense of what? That's, well, I, you know, I, on one hand, I, it's, it's an upsetting thing for a lot of people although on the other hand when I, when it happened i was listening i was listening to the radio live and you could hear his his lawyers and all of the rest of the the people gathered they were they were cheering and they were very excited and they they felt that they had been vindicated and it was 
it was actually quite moving to hear this and it, it, it touched a certain chord in a strange way. But I, I think it, it could possibly, although this is, is this is Yotzim in a cloud, it, it could possibly open the door for cases where, you know, there, there are people, you know, throughout the country who are, you know, who are incarcerated, who didn't do anything, uh, didn't do the things that they were, uh, you know, convicted of and so forth. Not, I'm but not again, saying... Again, here was the point that like there that. was certain... Here the point was that agreements that were made were later reneged on. And, right. and, and, and I think that is the maca that we're talking about. Well, I've, I've seen, I've seen, I've, I've seen that happen with, with prisoners that I've, that I uh, ministered to. I remember there was one inmate who made a plea bargain and he was told pretty much that, you know, he would get a certain amount of time, which was still quite a long sentence. And he was given a sentence of uh, 27 years when he was supposed to get a sentence of 15 years, according to the plea bargain. Uh, something along those lines, and uh, this is what needs. I, this. So, in other words, this is the the area of reform that we're talking about. Is that um, that when um, uh, people who are, who are, have been arrested and have their lawyers dealing with the district attorneys, and in their back rooms or wherever it is, it's going on that they're that they are working out the terms of what's going to be the eventual trial or incarceration. Those terms have to be stuck by. This can't be, even though we like it to be very straightforward, that there shouldn't be, you know, um, you know uh, I'll give them three, give them two years, we'll give me second degree manslaughter. Will you, you know, but we know that goes on all the time because going to trial costs money. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a big expense and time on the part of the, uh, on the jury system. So some of these plea deals uh, are things that the government has a vested interest in, but it, it, it needs to be able to be um, operated in an honest, fair way. Um, even if you're dealing with someone who is as grotesque and monstrous and, you know, frankly disgusting as Cosby, but people have to live up to it. Uh, a good friend of mine wrote me uh, a note about this when I said that this was one of the topics we were going to discuss today. And um, a person, a good friend of mine said, yeah, well, Cosby had the money to be able to do this, even though it's a very simple thing to discover that this agreement was made and the, and the state had no right to continue prosecuting after that. Unfortunately, it's only people who have money for lawyers to be able to push this type of case, to push it in an appeals, to take it beyond uh, the, the appellate court and to take it into the Supreme Court. Most people don't have those type of funds to be able to do that, right, Yitzhak? I, I, I kind of feel that that's along the lines of what happened here because I, it was well known that he had a lot of lawyers working for him. He, he had access to his lawyers to the point where quite often the, uh, the stories I heard, which maybe, maybe I'm revealing too much, but it, it's not that I heard anything directly, but I, I've heard stories that when... When his lawyers were there, the whole visiting room would be cleared out. He was, he was certainly getting, um, you know, certain type of treatment um, because I don't think it was necessarily because of his fame, but because of uh, because they were concerned that the lawyers had something, you know, they were cooking something up that they were they were figuring out a way to to, uh, to work on this case, and that every inmate does that they. 
everybody, you know, we have law library, we have, have you know, meetings with lawyers all the time, uh, but it was, it, was, it was clear that they were going to be able to figure something out here that, that the average inmate would not have the access to. That was something that so I think it, was- So it really bad. underscores things on two levels. It, 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 the fact that they uh, prosecuted against their agreement seems to be reflective of not only Pennsylvania, but other states as, as well. And you've said it before that anecdotally, you know this to be true. And the second thing is, is that even to rectify this and to, uh, you need to have incredible funds to be able to do it. You have a poor schlepper who has the public de defendant taking care of him, you know, or some, you know, or some, you know, person who's doing pro bono work, um, chances are that they're going to stop after a while, especially, I guess, if, you know, if, if, if it's clear that we're talking about someone, for example, who did do something, it's not a completely innocent person. I think the completely innocent are able to perhaps um, summon forth uh, lawyers that will work totally pro bono and, and, and they are driven by the cause of justice. I, I mean, there are the innocence projects that are, you know, especially Yeshiva University uh, spearheaded a lot of those. So there, there is, there is a lot to to that aspect. But on the other hand, it's but, but you know, when you're dealing with someone, I just want to finish the point and see if you agree. Yeah. When you're dealing with someone who is guilty of something, whether it's tax evasion or some minor embezzlement, and then you know they end up piling it on, uh, it's hard to uh, elicit sympathy and get lawyers. Uh, to work hard for that, um, and um, and 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 therefore, you know, I think that this case exposes, um, you know, some of the the problems. I, just to advocate on the other side, you know, we talk about the statute of limitations. I think that some of the in the criminal case, in Cosby's criminal case, I think some of the old drugging that 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 happened years in the '60s. Uh, for some reason, though, that, uh, the statute of limitations had expired as far as that goes. This, uh, this, this the case that he was convicted on, I think uh, they caught it. They caught it maybe uh, a week before the statute of limitations right. on that case ran out. Yes, right. So, I think so. It was a 2005 case or something like that, and they were able. Right. You know, we obviously, you know, both of us. I mean, even though you're much more uh, involved in this world than I am. Um, uh, I guess we have to think about that as well. When we talk about criminal justice reform, I guess we really have to think about statutes of limitations. I mean, we're, we've been we've been arguing for the benefits of the prisoners who we think are perhaps uh, lied to and um, are, 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 are are betrayed. Um, deals uh, said they're being cut aren't really. People are being forced to admit the stuff that they didn't do. But maybe we should also, when we talk about criminal justice reform, we should maybe look about you know, extending the statute of limitations on certain things, right? Or maybe right? the same way we talk about, or are you on the side, Yitzchak, that we should, we should limit these things more? I mean, would you say like an act, when we talk about an act like of this, like an act of rape, an act of, of raping a, a, a young teenage girl um, who, you know, in such a way, um, do you feel there should be like a 12-year statute of limitation on this? It's a, it's a difficult thing to say. I can hear both sides of the argument because, you know, it, it comes down to the question of what's the purpose of incarceration in general. 
meaning when you when when we're talking about a case like this, I mean, there, you know, one of the thing, one of the reasons why he was convicted was because many other people testified to things that were past the statute of limitations, something that usually would not be expressed in a in a court of law. But the reason was was to establish him as having uh, as a pattern of being a, a predator, and therefore he, you know, in general, when you're talking about you know, a case like this, it's it's because we want to remove someone from society because they're a danger to society. They are going to continue this behavior uh, that's, uh, you know, and, and we want to protect to make sure there are no more victims. Um, the question is, you know, how likely is someone who's legally blind, who's 84 years old, going to offend again? The, you know, the question comes down to: Is he being, is he being incarcerated uh, as a punishment? Which generally we say it's it's a how it's a it's a you know the Department of Corrections. It's not the Department of Punishment. So uh, you know, I, I, it might not be a statute of limitations issue as much as it's a question of of you know someone's. Uh, you know, likelihood to offend again is that something I think yeah. more than the statute of limitation? Yeah. Well, but I, we do. I mean, we do have you know where I where I've served, we have people who probably are well past their prime and and unlikely to offend again. Um, and you know, and instead of being given maybe you know similar to what uh, Mr. Cosby received, which was a a three to 10 year sentence, which is actually, I think, pretty small considering the crimes that he did and compared to other people that, uh, you know, committed similar crimes that I know of, you know, in, in the, in the system there, they generally get much harsher sentences for these types of crimes. Uh, it, it was really almost the equivalent of a slap on a wrist, even though, you know, you know, if 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 not for his age, it certainly would be considered a slap on the wrist. Uh, but I know people who are were not maybe not as old as him, but close to his age, who received sentences, uh, you know, m much more than any uh, any. We talked, we talked about the life. We talked about the Rosh Hashiva and his child and his child. We talked about that. Uh, uh, a number of episodes ago. Well, I'm I'm thinking of one case, a, a pediatrician who was in his 70s, and he received a, a sentence. I think that his minimum sentence is 170 years, and his maximum is 210 years. Well, something. You know, we, you know, it's it's it isn't just it isn't as binary as you make it in terms of is it deterrent or is it uh, the safety of the community? Um, or, you know, I, I think that. Or, or what did you say? Is it is is it to punish him? Is it punitive? Is it right? So I think the aspect of a deterrent is important to hear. Um, a, a, a punishing him is If people see this, then they are not going to. The next person is not going to uh, take advantage. We know that when it comes to these type of things, especially when it's the powerful people. Um, and you are in that business in some way, whether you're a set designer or you're a script girl or, you know, you're, you're trying to be a director or whatever it is. And you have somebody who's powerful in that way. You realize even with, you know, Me Too uh, gaining strength, 
it's hard to come forth. It's hard to come forth and 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 say what had happened. Um, and I think that uh, and in, in general, when you have women who are, have been raped, with uh, it, it's a very embarrassing thing and something which is um, it's ugly and embarrassing. And I'm sure, as you know, as we know, that Martin Gittin says, "I don't know is baza bebezdin." It is a very uh, uh, it isn't a very pleasant thing to to go and report these things. And I'm sure there's still uh, a great percentage of of women who have been violated who do not um, who cannot at the time go and report. And it might take years till the trauma eases till they're able to report these things. Now. That, I think, is an argument for a longer statute of limitations on a logical level, and also for the person to realize he's not getting away with it. Even if he knows the woman is going to be quiet for a while, the fact that you know this could haunt you, and this could, yeah, haunt, I mean, you for, yes, it could haunt you for 15, 20, 25 years, that's going to make you stop before you do that. I mean, there, it's, not only, it's not only there are cases where, where they are reported and they're and and there's reasons why the police or others will play it down and and convince someone not to. Uh, there are a lot of cases that I've heard of along these lines where people, you know, were violently raped and they were and they were convinced by a police officer to well shut up because we we want this is a low crime area we don't want to we don't want this to be on the radar these types of things so there there's really bad things that go on in the world that need to be fixed and that's that's one of them mm-hmm. so i think that so uh, so i think that's one of the other messages here is that perhaps there should have been there should be a greater sense of 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 a possibility of corralling these people yes they had to jump through hoops the prosecutors to get cosby there maybe they shouldn't have had to have to jump through so many hoops maybe uh, uh, you know we consider this you know, Gilead Arias, this is one of the Shalosh Averis Hamuros. For us, we know that a, a society rests on these pillars. Um, you know, if you have a society that's involved in Niuf, in Moar, it's, you know, this is the type of, uh, it's Hamas, and it's, it's Niuf, it's the Dora Mabu. So these are things that, you know, it's it's it's, it's Stoim. For us, you know, the, from where we're coming from, to, to find that these types of uh, terrible acts should be just dismissed eventually, and look how hard you have to do to prosecute it. I think, you know, from where our perspective, a terror perspective, although we, we are living in the United States, I think we should push. On one hand, yes, uh, people should uh, stick to the deals that they make. Uh, uh, people who are caught and people who have uh, were in the system, uh, they have. I mean, such so, so a deal has never been made. Is probably the uh, is probably the answer. You know, what do you say? What do you say? What what has never been made? I'm sorry, I didn't catch. I'm saying that. I'm not saying a, a such. I'm saying such a deal should have never been made. Right, right. But again, yes, deals that are made need to be lived up to. Many, and we know that many, as you said, many prisoners' deals have been obviated, have not been honored, and they've been railroaded and put away. So the Cosby case, on one hand, I think, uh, brings to light injustice, but I think it brings injustice. On the other hand, as well, in terms of the lightness of the sentencing, as you said, in terms of the, the very just a slap on the wrist. Number two, the fact that these crimes um, uh, that had that statute of limitations, that we know there is no statute of limitations on murder. Um, and yet, for these crimes, there is. 
Um, and as to your point, just to reiterate that he's an old man, do you know what? There's another Hollywood mogul out there. There's another macher out there. We know what, what human beings, especially you know, people in this business are capable of, and maybe beyond the business as well. And I think that it would have actually, despite the fact that he's 81 or 84 now um, and rotting away, I think that that would uh, be a, a reminder to all. Um, so um, Yitzchak, uh, do we want to talk a little bit about Cosby the Entertainer? Or do you think that he's muktzamach mismius and everything that he touched should really just be ignored? What do you think? It's, it's, you know, I'm, I was never much of a fan of his. I would watch the show, but it's not it's not something that really... Uh, I, I always kind of felt there was something something about him that that rubbed me the wrong way. So I'm I you know I I'm I might be a little prejudiced about that uh, that I was never really so much of a fan. Um, but it, it's it, it's the same question that that people have with Roman Polanski or Woody with Allen. Uh, Woody Allen, Woody Allen, um, even. Um, uh, Paul uh, from Peter Paul and Mary. Uh, uh, he was he was he was in he was um, in the in the in the Me Too. There was a thing about him being an abuser as well. Yeah, he 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 had. He had Peter a, Yarrow was it Peter Yarrow? Yarrow uh, uh, Paul mm-hmm. Paul. I don't remember his last name. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Look, he something. He's um, yeah. He had a uh, it, uh, he had an underage. Uh, uh, yeah, a fan of his came into his uh, his uh, hotel room. Oh, wait, now you've ruined Puff the Magic Dragon for me. Yeah, and, and it's uh, it's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, um, uh, I'm I'm also a, that that's the thing. I'm a fan of Peter Paul and Mary. Also, I'm a yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, it's um, you know, the, so, I always I always felt I was Little Johnny Paper. Um, yeah, that was me, Little Johnny Paper. Um, yeah, so, but if we talk about Cosby, I think we need to, to mention that um, he did a lot of toys. I think that, um, you know, not only uh, he, in terms of, um, you know, giving a lot of humor, that when I was a yeshiva guy, everybody had his records. Everybody had his record about Noah. You never heard his records? His, um, I, oh, I've heard, I've heard it. And again, I'm not, I'm not so impressed. I just, I... I think I, this. I would say that his uh, a skit on revenge about having the ice cream that he held in the freezer at the snow cone that he was going to, you know, um, it's really, really good. I mean, he uh-huh. was, he was able, I think, to um, to tell a clean story. He was able, yeah. as a as a, 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 you know, unlike you know Dick Levery or uh, Pryor. Um, Red Fox and later Eddie Murphy, he was able to really do a whole stand-up, uh, stand-up set uh, without being pure, you know, without being pure, without being a lewd, and um, in a way, uh, he, he had the ability to touch real truths about the foibles of human beings, and uh, and he created a, a very nostalgic. Uh, view of, of growing up in the inner city that I think helped him promote whether it was you know Fat Albert and the and the Cosby kids. I'm sure you right. I'm sure you watched yeah. those cartoons, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And I think that, you know, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids was really a, a precursor of the Huxtable family. You know, this was a family that was clearly ethnically uh, African-American, very much so. And yet, um, they, they weren't, it wasn't an Amos and Andy uh, sort of style. Um, it, there was humor. And you really, yeah. you really felt a connection. It was, it was that, that was that was probably my favorite of of all his work. Would be would be Fat Albert. That would be uh... yeah. And and you know, just the it, it, there was no again there was you didn't have your it wasn't stereotypical. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily like you didn't have a Stephen Fetchett character, but you knew you were dealing with black uh, children, and, it, and and there was no. It, it, it's very different than Stymie and uh, Buckwheat. You know what I'm saying? From the, uh, from the Little Rascals. They were treated very nicely, too. You know, on, you know, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, the Little Rascals. The, I, I, the yeah. Americans were treated all right. But again, the, the, the Fat Albert kids was, was, was really a, a peon to the inner city. And, and the fact that you knew that one of these kids, the sort of Cosby himself, who grew up to become successful... I think gave some service. And you talk about the, the the Cosby Show itself; it wasn't belly laugh funny, um, but 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 you really there was some growth, there was development. Um, there, the fact that people saw this as an American family that they could relate to, and, and white people and Asian Americans and even you know modern Orthodox Jewish kids could watch this program and feel that there were real truths about parenting, about children, about honesty. At the same time, they were exposed, I think, to the ideal of an African-American family that was um, upper class, that was on a high scale, whose uh, one parent is a doctor, the other parent is a lawyer. And uh, yet, you know, they weren't trying to, uh, you know, to just be to pass as white, so to speak. Very proud of their African American heritage, and yet uh, there, there was plenty of white, there was plenty of white kids in the house. Um, there was plenty of, uh, of, of affection for all different types of people on that program, and I think therefore the program did a tremendous service. I don't know, um, and I think that it was it's unfortunate that 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 program. I think for many people. It's going to be considered. Oh, I can't watch that show. It's got that molester in there. It has that predator in there. You know, Cosby. Not only does he you know, shoot his reputation in the foot, the benefits that uh, of, of of his of his of his legacy are tarnished forever. And I and, and I would like to see more of that. You know, I, I think that it's a uh, to me. I actually see the Cosby Show as a as 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 as, as a salvo against the woke culture against the racist politics, against the identity, uh, you know, this idea of, of you know, black identity and, and black um, to the point that we're all racist. I think that show really, in a way, it was the number one program. And I think it's, 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 it's really a proof against uh, what we're hearing from the left. I don't know how you feel about that, Yitzhak. I, 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 I hear what you're saying. And I, I'll tell you beyond that, just... Um... From what I heard through the grapevine about his, you know, his experience being in prison, you know, whether whether from inmates who ran into him or other chaplains and so forth, and also it was it was mentioned, like I said on the radio, so it was, in a sense, it's a public thing. It's not that I'm revealing some of the secrets of what goes on uh, behind the closed doors. It was that he was 
he was known as a model prisoner. He and he um, he uh, mentored other you know younger prisoners. Uh, he took them under his wing, and he kind of, uh, in a way, was almost ministering to them. So uh, you know, with, yeah, I mean, with with how evil his his uh, uh, his crime was. He, um, I mean, he maintained his innocence. Apparently, that's why he, he, you know, he was offered, um, he was offered parole, and he, he, he refused it. Which I know a lot of inmates do. They don't. They, they, you know, they see that they have some hope of possibly getting out. But again, most of these guys that I know have no hope of ever getting out, and yet they don't want to be miyish, and they still, and they still, uh, you know, live live uh you know this way you know with with this hope in their mind that somehow they're gonna get out of this and they they're not uh, you know they're never gonna admit guilt um so you know look uh, obviously cosby um you know uh he he there's he's clearly a, a a psychological study um you know the uh to say that everything he tried to do Litayeles, was just an act of sheker, an act of you know of, of building this this um, uh, artificial facade. I don't think that's that is the case. Uh, he's clearly troubled, and this is an area that 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 he is a, a very sick person about. But I don't think that we can uh, therefore deflate and, and and minimize everything else. He was to me a very important messenger, like when Michael Brown and Ferguson was killed um he was you know one of the voices in the african-american community that uh was willing uh, to say well why you know why do you have to be stealing anything you know it's true it's terrible you know when, when police react this way but let's talk about what's wrong with our communities let's talk about the african-american communities that he you know grew up as you know in, in the inner city in philadelphia and why why was why do you have to be stealing the twinkie why do you have to be walking around, you know, with with cargo pants, you know, that that barely fit on? You know, where is the self respect that the community needs? Now, again, it sounds very hollow considering his sins, but I think the statements that he made, he meant them, and I think that it's 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 they are now now those statements are drowned out, and are considered, you know, like empty and tin and tinny. And yet they were important because here was someone from the African-American community willing to stand back and say, let's pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. Let's change. Let's work hard. Let's, let, let's, let's emphasize education, just like the Cosby show emphasized it. And, 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 and it wasn't one brand fit all. You know, as the kids grew up, Theo had a learning disability. There were certain schools he couldn't get into. Uh, it, it wasn't all about, you know, like, you know, like we see sometimes this, um, image of the Indian families where, you know, they push their children uh, to excel to the point that they have no other life. And Cosby wasn't saying that, but he was, he was saying was that, that we need to emphasize better schools, we have to educate, and we have to do whatever we can to emulate others without necessarily giving up our individual identity. And I think that that message still needs to be heard. Uh, I, I can't make it because I'm, I'm, I'm just a, you know, a Jewish guy who's doing a podcast with another Jewish guy. But it, it's that I think is, is one of the great tragedies uh, of, yeah. this whole, of this whole event yeah. and of everything. 
I don't know. Again, say, um, you know, it's, I know you, so you, you know, for you, it's about, okay, you know, does he count as one of the great, the greatest, funniest comedians, you know, in terms of what is, what he's produced? No, no, no. I, I understand that's not the be all and end all. And, and, and again, we, you know, it's the same question that about all these other figures that, that, you know, right. Uh, again, but you know what, here's, here's, here's what I want to say. Woody Allen yeah. was brilliant and, 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 and made some important points about, you know, the, the ludicrousness of human uh, society and culture. Uh, he investigated uh, the Jewish psyche and, and, and the, the difference between, you know, the, 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 the jealousy and um, uh, animosity that exists between Jews and Christians. Um, and that it's a it, it's a very solid contribution, but I think it really pales in comparison to the positive things that Cosby was was about. I mean, you you eliminate Woody Allen's movies, okay? So what is the world really missing that there's no love and death and stardust memories? But I think that it's 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 a tragedy that the positive stuff that Cosby was trying to do, and really you know pushing for um, you know it, 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 not just equality, but but satisfaction understanding acceptance that was something that i think um you know that that's a crown that it's, the fact that it's been so tarnished i, I think is, is is really very it hurts quite a lot yeah. so yeah. um you know these other guys okay yeah good look maybe woody allen we should talk it not you know not be involved in his stuff i have to tell you i think that you know he's still you know again I think if, if, if take the money and run was um, was all of a sudden I'd be going into a room and somebody my kids are watching take the money and run, I, I think I would probably sit down for a couple of minutes and watch some of it. I don't know if you've seen it or not. But it's no. It, no. you haven't seen take the money and run. No. <laughs> see, it's okay. I see. Okay, uh, maybe you should watch the third remake of the Blob. <laughs> um. So, like I said, I think that, you know, it's a, you know, Cosby, I think we should also mention that, uh, you know, Cosby, uh, he really broke into the scene, not as a comedian. Uh, you're aware of I Spy, aren't you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you have, you know, he and Robert Culp, um, you know, as these super spies who, I'm not sure exactly what agency they worked for, but, you know, Cosby was cool. You know, Cosby was cool and it was really two buddies. And you really saw, but you know, on I Spy, good, good friends, a black man and a white man, very close friends working together. And um, again, it was really, uh, I wouldn't say a credit to their race. It's, it's, it's a great symbol of, of, of the type of brotherhood that we, there should have been more of. And Cosby was able to pull it off. And you didn't have any sense that, you know, Cosby was just some sort of jock. In fact, the jock was the, uh, was Robert Culp. He was the tennis pro, supposedly, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, just the, the, uh, the, the rapport between them, uh, you know, it was just, you know, two super intelligent, cool guys. Um, it wasn't always clear exactly where the plot was going. But I mean, are you going to compare that to the man from Uncle? I mean, you've seen the man from Uncle as well, right? Yeah, yeah, 
Okay, so the man from Uncle has not, did nothing for uh, improving um, Russian-American relations, right? The fact that David McCallum doing a Russian accent as Ilya Kuryakin, right, did nothing, right? Nobody, no, we didn't love the Russians anymore uh, because uh, McCallum was Ilya Kuryakin and, and, and they were on, there was some super special agency where you needed the Russians and Americans together. It was all fantasy and Narishkeit. But I Spy, even though it was also fantasy and Narishkeit, just the image of these two as buddies, just compare that to the defiant ones. Again, am, am I speaking even your language here? You know the defiant yeah. ones that I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the fine ones, of course, is Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis, right? Yeah. Bernie Schwartz, in other words. Yeah, right? uh, you know, my, my Bubby, I told you, was a nurse in Hollywood, and 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 uh, and uh, Sidney Poitier was, uh, when his baby was born, she was a nurse. And and uh, Tony Curtis was, was a friend of my Zeta. They used to play stickball together, uh, Al Schwartz and, and, and Bernie Schwartz. So they weren't related. But they uh, they were they were actually friends growing up. Yeah. So, so again, but if you but you compare the defiant ones where you have two escaped prisoners, right? And they they are shackled to each other, and they somehow have to learn. One's black and one's white, and they have to learn how to somehow come together. To me, it's so preachy. Show me Culp and Cosby just hanging out. I don't need to see. You know, Tony Curtis, who was a, who was a, you know, who was a bigot, finally come to see that, you know, this guy, this portier is all right, you know. Um, and I think, you know, and, and again, it's only about seven or eight years later, right? Yeah. The Defiant Ones, I think, is 58 or something like that. And, and, and I Spy, I think, is 66 or 67, I think, whenever it came in. So I, I think, again, the subtle, Cosby was not the producer of I Spy. But I think that idea of crossing over, of 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 no of, of fearless, courageous representation as a black man in that world, being friends, being completely comfortable in your skin, but at the same time, you know, being involved uh, and, and and recognizing that America is an opportunistic place, a place that that's that great opportunities are there. That I think that is something that. Um, if, if Cosby's incarceration destroys that, I think we're going to be missing. You know, yeah. We're going to be missing a lot. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll tell you one one little anecdote. Again, we were we were thinking that he was going to come to Waymart. That was the original plan because uh, we are equipped to 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 handle a geriatric and and he's legally blind and all that. And so he he really was supposed to come to Waymart, but he wound up. At Phoenix, because of uh, proximity to home, his, his wife stuck with him and everything, and and all of those things. But the um, there was a and uh, a, a, a drama ministry. Uh, I don't remember the name of the ministry offhand. That uh, would get the inmates. They would come into various prisons, and they'd get the inmates to put on a show, to write their own script, and and produce a play. And we had that. At Waymart, and that several other prisons had that uh, a few years ago. And and uh, when you know, I told the the people who were in charge of this ministry, I said, well, when you go to Phoenix, try to try to recruit Bill Cosby, not so much for his sake, obviously, but you know, part of the reason for this 
for this uh, program is to help build the self-esteem of the inmates as well as whatever it was it was a christian message but it was it was you know that they were able to do song and dance and and drama and all these things and a professional way and all this so i told them you know if, if can you imagine what that what's that's going to do for the uh for the self-esteem of the inmate who's going to say i was i was on stage with bill cosby you know that was the i don't know what whether in the end whether or not they wound up uh, recruiting him for the show but it's uh it it, it certainly you know uh, without that like i said he he used that time uh, you know that he was there to really continue what he'd always done was to uh to mentor to to right. help others and but unfortunately uh, I, I you know he did not admit he did not say he's been humbled you know and maybe his lawyers told him to say that but the fact that he you know he, he retains his innocence as you said and he refused to take parole um it, it clearly is you know like we say we don't in any way uh diminish what he has done no. and, yeah. and and he does not seem like a person who has been humbled he's a person who feels that well no that that that's part of the problem is that he i guess you know he he was arrogant all throughout the thing he was proud all throughout throughout his incarceration it really Yes, it yes. seemed like it didn't. I don't know if you saw there was a Saturday Night Live skit about his incarceration, and they portrayed him. They it was interesting because like the the uniforms that they had were, were almost identical to the uniforms that they actually used. Um, but the way that he was presented was that he was almost oblivious to what was going on there, and he was sitting back in a in an easy chair, uh, listening to a record, uh, you know, smoking a pipe or smoking something a, like that. No, he smokes cigars. He always yeah. smokes a cigar. He doesn't smoke a pipe. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Cosby always has his big cigar that he's always yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> give me some jello, <laughs> some jello. Well, that was that was part of the that was part of the uh, routine. I, also. I want to say one other thing that I felt Cosby did that he didn't have to do, you know, as he was already a big because he of course he had a number of programs after I Spy before the Cosby Show. He had another show called, you know, Bill Cosby or something like that. I'm sure, but he had a, no, a number of programs that that he had. I remember one of them was famous because it didn't have a laugh track, um, and it was, um, you know, it was a it was an experimental type of program where there, was, where there was no laugh track on the show. But one thing he did, which I think uh, also needs to be mentioned, with Dave, is that he was one of the people that uh, lent his creative energies to the electric company. Now, everybody knows about Sesame Street, um, mm -hmm. but The Electric Company was a show that was for older children. And it was to get older children involved in a real cool way. And uh, The Electric Company featured not only Cosby uh, as one of the regulars, uh, but also Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was one of the first gigs Morgan Freeman had. And, uh, you know, I, I remember the program growing up I was a little bit too old for it, but I appreciated Cosby's humor uh, that he used, you know, and he clearly didn't need the money. This is from the Children's Television Network. You know, I'm sure Cosby got got very little from it, if anything. But he believed in literacy. He believed in, uh, you know, and I think he was you know, behind Reading Rainbow and some of the other things that, um, that, that were all about, you know, getting kids to read and getting kids involved. And, and again, it, it, to me, uh, Underneath all that Dover Tove, there's the, 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 there's the seething rishus that allowed him to the hubris 
the ugliness, the arrogance, the taiva. Um, still, uh, I think that the, the I think the, the the complete story has to has to be made clear. I think, unfortunately, um, you know, we don't hear that. We don't hear enough of that. Okay, Yitzchok. Well, um, I, I, on the on the electric company, I'd ra- I'd I'd rather look up to Tom Lehrer. Even if I might not agree with his politics, I think he was, he is, he's still alive, Tom Lehrer, and he's a Yid, and he's a lot more, uh, Tom Lehrer did a couple, Tom Lehrer did some songs on the electric company. Yeah, and he's he's a lot more talented, I I think. Let's see, okay. Um, Well, Tom Lehrer, of course, was known for his political satires. He did a, he did all his um, National Brotherhood Week, National Brotherhood Week, right? Yeah, the the Catholics hate the Protestants and the Protestants hate the Catholics. And And everyone hates hates the Jews. Jews. And everyone hates the Jews. It's, nah, and so, you know, I I would say Tom Lehrer was a lot more cynical than Cosby was. Yeah, yeah. I think Cosby, I think Cosby bought into the possibilities of the American dream. And I think in many ways it was realization. Tom Lehrer, you know, it's like, it's a good wits. Yeah. Tom Lehrer's a good Uh, wits. Well, you you talked about the American dream. Can we mention my uh, movie pick for this week? It's sort of like old news already, but then we're really running long over here. But um, yeah, okay. How how about if I, I, the movie pick that you sent me, in other words? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's it's probably past uh, July fourth for everyone because it's already it's already in July seventh, I think already almost. Um, but Yitzchok sent me the uh, what he felt was a great film for the fourth of July, which was called Sons of Liberty, uh, uh, directed by a Jew, Michael Cortez. Uh, it was a short that Warner Brothers produced. Um, Originally, I think they might have thought to create a whole big biopic, and I saw in the foreword the article that you sent me that it was originally, um, they thought Paul Muni, who was obviously one of the great Jewish actors in Hollywood. He, I thought it said John Garfield. No, no. The original, it was they thought Paul Muni would do it. Oh, okay. Oh, but Garfield wanted to do it, but they, they, but they thought, didn't. Yeah, Garfield, after Muni uh, decided he didn't want to do it, um, uh, you know, Muni... Um, uh, again, all of his great roles as Scarface and uh, and, uh, and the Scottish um, uh, coal miner and some of the other stuff he made, you know, he you know, ignored the fact that he you know, cut his teeth in the Yiddish theater, uh, Paul Muni. But um, so this would have been a great way for Paul Muni in 1939 to to portray um, the great Chaim Solomon, but. When Muni decided that he didn't want the film, and they'd already, I guess, you know, started some pre-production, they decided to turn it into a 20-minute, a patriotic short, and uh, they got the incredible Claude Rains uh, to play Chaim Salman, and and um, it was uh, considering, you know, the the 20-minute the, oh, the length, it really was quite poignant, right? And why don't you now take up take it up from here? Yeah, I, I I enjoyed it too, and uh, I, I'm happy that I sent it to you. I'm happy you enjoyed it. It wasn't, you know, it was a little rushed being a short subject, so it's hard to, although if you have a short attention span, which I, I guess sometimes do, or I have other things to do, it, it didn't take too long to watch, and I definitely appreciate it. And I, and I also thought it was interesting. I think I mentioned um, maybe a few months ago a, a TV show where uh, Vincent Price played uh, Gershom Satius. And it's just interesting to me that both 
both the original Invisible Men from Universal uh, played Jews. They, not that neither of them were Jews, and they played they played Jews from the colonial era. Uh, Vincent Price playing Gershom Shashis on television, and the and and Claude Rains playing Chaim Solomon <laughs> in the in the on the big screen. So that's yes, the in- <laughs> there must be some rem as to the invisibility of the Jews, despite them being everywhere. I saw Chaim Solomon's uh, Kasuba. They have that at the Jewish Museum in Philadelphia. So it's uh, it's 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 still it's still in existence. Right, and, 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 and I think as the uh, forward article underscores, it was the first time since the jazz singer that there had actually been a, um, a such a, a long protracted synagogue scene, especially also like the jazz singer, like in Kipper. Um, and, um, you know, it is extremely moving, especially when, um, you know, when the rabbi hears, George Washington, of course, we're going to be mafsik in Kipper to do something for the sake of the United States. This is, this is even more crucial than and davening the rabbinic shalom and yomkipper. They were in the middle of Shvanesri, they were in the middle of Kal Nidre, which... Right, uh, right, right. So they could be mafsik. But it sounded like, you know, the rabbi, you know, the rabbi understood. And I think part of what the film was trying to show was the great patriotism of Jews in the United States. And, you know... Partic- particularly with the, with the rise of Nazism at that time. But, it, you know, you, you pointed out to me that the word Jew doesn't appear anywhere in the movie. That's right. And, the, and the, 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 you know, the <laughs> no, fact they, that... Chaim Solomon talks about his, who he is. He never mentions, I am a Jew. They never mentioned the word Jew, right? right. And, and, and then, and then and, you know, in the death scene, he's uh, he says, you know, raise our children to be good Americans. He doesn't, he, you know, if he, he wanted to maybe avoid using the word Jew, he didn't have to say good Jews, but good servants of God or something along those lines. Well, again, instead of dying with the word Shema Yisrael, he dies with the words of Jefferson's words from the Declaration of Independence that all yeah. men are created equal. Uh, it's it's real, look, it's it's a lot of corny um, stuff, but it, it really uh, any look, you have to see it as something extremely positive. It's a schus for Harry Warner. Um, yeah. that he was willing to to put it on screen. And he was willing to show that the Jews in that Yom Kippur scene, they all donated. They are the ones, it was the Jews in Philadelphia who came up with the money, not just Solomon himself, but all his whole kahila that recognized. That, that, yeah, and I, and I didn't know about that because I always heard, you know, Solomon, he, you know, he he's the financier of the, I, and I knew that he died, you know, in debt after that, but I didn't realize, you know, the, the mysterious nefesh that he did, not only not only for America, but for Yiddishkeit also. He's he you know he is presented as a Sherma Shabbos in the film. That oh know, yeah, that's he, a great I, scene too. That he can't he doesn't the his 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 partner comes in and says we've got to sign this. No, we have to. If the Lord rested, I'm not going to do this on 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 the Sabbath. Yeah, and that 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 I think was uh, yes, certain. you're right. In many ways, it was a uh, uh, despite it was despite what was going on in, in, in the world, it was a uh, distinctive um, accomplishment to be, the Jews to be shown without, you know, a typical, um, uh, you know, the, without the typical accents, without the typical um, uh, prototyp- prototypical Jewish mannerisms, and, um, and to be seen as loving the United States and realizing the great Matana that the Rabbanu Shalom allowed to happen in this world. 
which is to allow us not only to find this place, but to have a place of tolerance, to have a place where we were respected, the fact that we could uh, be mishtatev in such a way, um, and that Jews have always been patriotic. They've always uh, served the country. What a, what a such an important message, especially in light of things that are happening over the last couple of years, where we- And, and in general, you know, not, not only for Jews. I mean, there were, there were important black founders or important Catholic founders. And a lot, of, a lot of time, you know, like going back to what you were saying about the problem of, of this wokeness that of, of saying, you know, that it's, you know, uh, the, not only that the country's irredeemably racist and, and rooted in, in racism and all, the, all this nonsense that they're teaching, but the, that they want people to feel that they're other. And, and when it comes to on the, the national federalist level of, of the United States of America, we can maintain our individual identities with, uh, uh, meanwhile, we can be 100% American and 100% whatever else we are, and, there, and there's no steer there. And, 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 and you know, the, the, so many people are trying to teach that there's a steer up, but there, there's yes, no steer. Yes, I agree. Look, you know, Alavai, we could go back in many ways to as ugly as some of the things were in terms of the Bund and Father Coughlin and all the ugly things from 1939. There was still, you know, that great, incredible. Uh, patriotic spirit where it wasn't considered, you know, uh, you know uh, it, there was something I think that could be gained even without, you know, the, the modern Hamilton spin on, you know, on, on, on the founding fathers. Um, there was just a way to look at that, that reality and be inspired from, realize that we've, we've grown and we've changed in many ways, you know, we don't want to go back to that, that type of attitude. And they, yes, they were slave owners in many ways, you know, there, there were some ugly skeletons in their closet, but I think it's important to extol uh, the, that those sons of liberty, and that's why I think this film is definitely worth watching for everyone. That's about it, my friends. I think today this post July Fourth, and thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.